Open your Bibles to the book of Matthew and chapter number 27, if you will. Matthew and chapter number 27. Matthew 27, I want to start reading in verse number 11. Familiar passage. Um, nothing you've never read before, but I do want to point out uh, something today maybe you haven't thought about before in regards to one of the characters in this scene that we're going to read about here in Matthew 27. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when, we, when he was accused of the chief, chief priests and elders, Jesus, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he, he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at that feast, Passover, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whither of the twain will you that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? Then they all say unto him, Let him be crucified. The governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could, not, that he could prevail, nothing but that rather a tumult was made, he took water washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. I'm titling this message, Barabbas, or we always have two titles in this uh, pulpit area here. So well, I guess the second good title would be Jesus died for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you open our hearts and minds to the truth you have for us? Thankful for our time here. Speak to all of our hearts. And would we respond as you speak to us? In Jesus' name, amen. 
Can I get you to imagine that you are the one that, are, that is sitting in a dark, filthy prison with no help and no hope. And you're guilty. But through that guilt, you have some measure of pride because the crimes that you committed that got you to this place were done in the name of your nation. And like Maccabees and others before you had done. And you knew the cross waited. And you knew what that meant. Because you had watched others. You watched others suffer. And the pain and the humiliation that goes with being crucified. And a man could hang on a cross for days. And gladly welcome his own death. There's going to be no reprieve. There's going to be no commutation. There's going to be no last minute pardon. You're going to die. It's going to be a horrible, agonizing death. But you're awakened to sounds of a mob and shouts that you can hear of crucify him. And so this is it. This is the day. Today, your cross is ready. You even hear shouts of, give us Barabbas. Your own fellow countrymen. Did they want to see you die so badly after what you tried to do? Did no one care that you wanted to deliver Israel from Roman domination? Two soldiers open your cell door and they drag you out into the light. And you're thrown at the feet of another man who's already been beaten, already close to his own death, and you figure he too must be guilty to be treated in this way. Who do you want, he hears Pilate say. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, or Barabbas. You hear your own name again. Give us Barabbas. And you realize what's happening. Those shouts aren't for your death. Those shouts are for your freedom. The people are choosing you. And your chains are removed and you're pushed toward the open gate. And you look over your shoulder to see Jesus carrying your cross. And as I read the Bible and as you read the Bible, aren't we introduced to certain people who are mentioned just briefly? And they're in and out of the historical record and in and out of the Bible and the stories. And we just, we know very little about them. And their names are familiar because they played an important role in whatever story, whatever is going on. And, and we know the story and so we know this person's name. But who they really were and what happened to them after the, we're introduced to them and the story, that's all a mystery. 
I mean, think about some of these names and you know the story, but we don't know the Paul Harvey part. You know, the rest of the story, we, we don't know. Think of some of these names. Shamgar, my favorite judge in all of the Bible, is only mentioned in one verse. And that he killed 600 Philistines with a pointed stick. I can't get over that story. Greatest story in Judges. That's all, I know. That's all we know about it right there. Ehud, another great judge who killed a fat king with a knife. I'm not going to go into any details. But he then led his people to a great victory and we never hear from him again. You remember J.L.? She nailed Sisera's head to the ground with a tent spike. Another great story. No details again. We don't know anything else about her. That's it. We've heard of Naaman, who dipped seven times in the Jordan, remember, was healed from leprosy. What a great story. You know what we know from him after that? Nothing. Jabez, his prayer of great faith, and he's often quoted. You know what we know about Jabez beside that prayer? Nothing. How about Onesimus? Have you ever read the book of Philemon? Philemon is about a man named Onesimus. You know what we know about Onesimus after what we read in that book? Nothing. You ever read about a young lady in the Bible named Rhoda? What a great story when she runs out to see Peter standing at the gate and runs back in and tells everybody Peter's out there and they all laugh at her. No, he really is. That's all we know about her right there. Pretty soon we're going to be introduced to the thief on the cross. Think about that story and how often we point to that thief and his conversion on the cross. And we don't even know his name or anything else about him. In this story, we and we know this name is very familiar, Barabbas. There's a lot we know about him. There's more that we don't know. There's books been written, movies have been made about Barabbas and his part in this account. And in this drama, think of this, Barabbas has this huge role, but doesn't say a word. Never a line, never a word. In fact, until the very end, Barabbas doesn't even know he's in this show. Think about it. There's a lot to be learned from what happened that day and from the part that Barabbas played. And there's much we learn about Jesus and who he was. And when you think about it, and I hope you will as we go through here, there's a lot you can learn about yourself when you think about and look at Barabbas. Now, as I preach through here, if I say, if I call him Barnabas, <laughs> forgive me. It's not Barnabas. It's Barabbas, but my tongue will get in front of my eye teeth and I won't be able to see what I'm saying. And I'm going to say Barnabas eventually. Count on it. Barabbas. So number one, Barabbas was a sinner. What's unusual, a little unusual about Barabbas is that all four of the gospel writers do mention him by name. 
all four. And that's not, um, that would be a little bit unusual that all four of the writers would even mention the same event. We don't, if you read the Gospels, you'll see that sometimes two or three or only one writer will mention something and there'll be cha uh, not changes, but there'll be different perspectives. But in this case, all four of the Gospel writers mention him by name, and that must be pretty significant. He was well known, evidently, by both the Romans. Roman authorities and by the Jews. And we know this, he was guilty. Matthew said, a notable prisoner, you know, someone of note, someone we, whose name was recognized that all of them knew. Mark said this, he lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. Luke put it this way, who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder, and John just simply wrote this, Barabbas was a robber. Now, if you can easily put together the picture from what we know but these from these four accounts and also from what we can learn from history of that period, this, Josephus, who was a historian, he described Barabbas as this. He was a revolutionary. He was a zealot, which means he was one of those who loved Israel. He loved his nation so much he wanted to free Israel from Roman occupation and from the oppressive Roman government. So today we might say about Barabbas that he would have been a political prisoner. He would have been, maybe we would say, a freedom fighter. We might even say, hey, he was caught up in this riot. He was caught up in this uprising. He was, it was sedition. It was against the Roman government. He wanted to free his people. And in the, in the uh, process, he killed at least one Roman and was sentenced to death by the Roman government. You know, Jews to this day observe Hanukkah. That's a probably a familiar word to you that Hanukkah is one of the, uh, the feasts. It's one of the holidays that Jews to this day uh, celebrate. Did you know that that is a memorial of what happened under Maccabees when Maccabees did exactly what Barabbas tried to do? As the Greeks came in and desecrated the temple and set up false idols in the temple and even sacrificed a swine on the altar. It was Judah Maccabees who stood up with an army and threw them out and, and cleaned the temple. He was a revolutionary. He was a zealot. And can you imagine Barabbas thinking, I'm like that. I'm going to do what Maccabees did. I'm going to stand for my people, for my nation, for God. I'm going to throw out the Romans, and in the process, he ends up in prison, sentenced to, cru be, to be crucified. And so while Barabbas was no doubt guilty, guilty of murder, I can picture him robbing as many Romans as he can to fund this cause that he has. You can imagine the average Jew, he's not going to be too upset by what Barabbas has done. The average Jew is not going to get really worked up that Barabbas killed a Roman or two or robbed some Romans. The average Jew, in, in fact, is probably going to kind of smile or think kindly of Barabbas, even though he's guilty. Maybe what we might call a cultural hero. 
Barabbas. He would not be the first zealot crucified by the Romans. In fact, when you study history, you'll find that crucifixion was reserved for crimes against Rome. And those crimes against Rome are what Barabbas had been guilty of and what Jesus was accused of. So we want to keep this in mind. Barabbas was guilty. Treasonous actions against the Roman government. And while the average Jew may not have taken those steps to actually pick up arms against the Roman government, you can imagine they would be sympathetic to Barabbas and those who were caught up in this uprising. And I can picture Barabbas a little bit proud of his crimes. And he could rationalize away the fact that he had committed murder. Under the circumstances, it made sense that you would even have to commit murder. I'm a sinner, I'm sure, I'm guilty, but I'm not repentant. Guilty, no one would deny it, but I have a good reason. When you think about it, it sounds like he, Barabbas, has something in common with you and I. In this way, we sin and we have sin and we commit sin, but there's always a good reason. It can always, we can always make sense of our sin. And just think of our, what I might call our national sins around us, the big ones, the ones that we talk about just right here in our country that are big sins and how easily those who are involved in them can explain them away. This morning in Sunday school, Brother Raspberry talked about Psalm 139 and how it talks about the, the womb and how the ch God knows that child being formed in that womb. And just think of in our own country, this, I'm going to call it the sin the, of abortion, of murder, of a child in a womb. Even a person who is pro choice is not going to deny something's life is ended when abortion takes place. You and I would call it certainly a baby, a human life, but they're going to have to admit that something dies, but it can be explained. There's good reasons why this particular death is necessary there's valid reasons why the life of an innocent child can be taken in this way. There are good reasons, they're going to say. There's excuses. There, it's okay in this instance. Abortion. Between my house and the church here, I go down Pennsylvania, predominantly down Pennsylvania. So between about 104th and 54th and here in Penn, I think there's about... Oh, 8,000 marijuana dealers. <laughs> Something like that. Isn't there one on every corner? So there's either a marijuana dealer or there's a, a place where you can get any kind of booze you want to get. Literally, you can walk from one to the other easily in Oklahoma City. But there's good reasons. There's a reason. 
There are good reasons why this is okay. And we've all heard them several times. And there's, it's helpful and it's going to do X, Y, Z. And there, there's good reasons. It's certainly legal. And so that makes it okay. And there's all kinds of excuses and reasons people can give why, why smoking marijuana is okay. And while drinking alcohol is okay. And while be, why being impaired in those ways is okay. There's good reasons. There's good excuses. What makes it okay in this instance is... How about, since we're talking about these big sins, homosexuality is certainly taken over. But I have, you have, freedom to be and to do what I feel is right for me. No one has the right to tell me what to do in private. And besides, people are born with sexual preferences already set and they have no control over them. And so why it may seem odd or outside or deviant to some, it's okay in this instance because there are good excuses and there are good reasons why this will work and why one people, why God may call this sin, this is okay because. So you can fill in the blank on any kinds of sin and notice all the ones I've mentioned so far, we're all good talking about because we haven't talked about mine yet. Because when we start talking about our own sins, all of a sudden I get a little nervous. Because I can make excuse for my personal sins too. Now they're not as heinous perhaps as those others. I mean, my, if I have a bad attitude, I had a good reason. You spoke to me. <laughs> it's only 8 a.m., come on or my pride, or my anger, or my lust, or those hidden sins that no one knows about but me, and, and those things that no one sees but me, and those things in my thoughts that are secret only to me. And I can come up with all kinds of excuses why these things are okay. And I can blame other people, and I can, and I can blame the way I raise, and I can say this is just how I am, and I have sin, and I'm not perfect. Sure, but there's good reasons why I have these sins, and it's okay in this instance. And this is all right because this is just the way I am. This is the way I was raised, or so-and-so made me this way. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't do this. Are we not just full of excuses? Barabbas was a sinner. And those engage, who engage in alternate lifestyles are sinners. Murderers are sinners. Debauch the depraved. But I got to always keep this in mind. My sin may not look like their sin. And I can put a good face on my sin. Till it almost sounds reasonable. But my sin put Jesus on the cross. Barabbas was guilty, a sinner, a guilty sinner. Number two, Barabbas, he was a substitute. Think of this, because as you read in here, you get the idea. Pilate had a problem, didn't he? Pilate had a problem that he didn't really want to deal with. His problem was Jesus. And even Pilate's wife warned him. You don't want to deal with this. Notice Pilate called him just and his wife called him just. You don't want to deal with Jesus. You want to steer clear from what this, what's about to take place. Pilate, you need to 
get rid of this problem you have. And if you've read some of the other accounts and you can put them all together, you'll see Pilate tried everything he could possibly do to rid himself of Jesus. Right at the beginning, he passed him off to Herod. He said, where are y'all from? And he said, oh, we're from over here. Uh, Galilee. Oh, yeah, I don't have nothing to do with you. You go over and talk to Herod about this issue. They went to Herod. Herod sent him right back to Pilate. He questions Jesus and, and he finds no fault. He can't find anything that Jesus has done wrong. So he pronounces him basically innocent. At one point, even before this point, Jesus is scourged. He's beaten by the Roman soldiers. And, and it's as if Pilate is thinking, if I can get a little blood flowing, if they see that I've punished him, maybe they'll be okay. And it's like this last attempt to rid himself of Jesus is the most brilliant that you can imagine. Because obviously... The people, if given a choice, would choose the popular, innocent Jesus over the guilty Barabbas, but he was wrong. And think about this, and I've thought about this many times, thought about it as I was thinking about this message. Why would the people choose Barabbas over Jesus? And that answer, the answer to that question says much, says much about how people today feel about Jesus and why Jesus came. Because remember, just a week, just a few days before this, all the people shouted Hosanna. You remember? They're shouting Hosanna on that Palm Sunday and they're waving their palm branches as Jesus enters Jerusalem. Hosanna, Hosanna, they're saying. And how, how did shouts of Hosanna so quickly change to shouts of crucify him? Now you and I know, and over again in the scripture, we learn what the people thought the coming of Messiah would mean. You know, the coming of Messiah had been long waited. And the Old Testament prophets foretold of his coming. And the Jews anxiously, they waited for the coming of Messiah. And 400 years of silence has gone by until finally now he's come. And even though the idea in the Old Testament of this suffering Messiah who would shed his blood for the sins of his people, even though that was evident in the Old Testament, it was clear what stood out to the people was not the suffering Messiah that would shed blood for their sins, but this conquering Messiah who would free his people, not from their sins, but from the domination, in this case of Rome, and he would sit on the throne again. But Jesus didn't look like a conqueror, did he? His birth was very humble. His home was on the wrong side of the tracks. His parentage was nondescript. And his preaching would attract the masses, mainly because the preaching to the masses, he would reveal the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the Pharisees. They had such a stranglehold on the people. The people were attracted to Jesus. 
and the miracles seemed to indicate to even more, even the religious leaders could had to acknowledge he was more than ordinary. But yet, where's the deliverance? Where's the throne? Instead, they heard things like this from Jesus. Turn the other cheek. That doesn't sound like we're going to get a throne. They heard this. Go the extra mile. Render under Caesar that which is Caesar's. Take up your cross and follow. Those are the words they heard. But still on that Sunday, that Palm Sunday, he came riding in on the donkey, you know, and their hopes were so high. And they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means this, save us, save us. And in just now a few days, it's obvious their disappointment with Jesus is loud and clear when they say, now crucify him. The people, they were confused. They were confused about why he came. And then that led them then to choose someone else. I wonder if in this room, if there's someone who's a little confused about who Jesus is and why he came. Do you see him for what he really is or do you see him for who you want him to be? And there's a lot of people, and I'm sure you've heard this before, that would say, well, Jesus, now he, he's, he was a great teacher. And he was. He was certainly the greatest teacher ever walked the face of this planet. And man, some of the things he said, if we would follow them, even if you don't know him, your life would be better, would it not? He said, do unto others. He said, love your neighbor. Some of those things he taught, man, they would change this world. But those who think that Jesus was just a great teacher are missing why he came. Oh, but Jesus was a great example. Have you heard that? He was such a great example, was he? Well, he certainly was a great example. The Bible says he went about doing nothing but good. The Bible teaches and shows us many times how he would show love to the outcasts and those who were unlovely. And he was kind to those that society had forgotten. And the Bible shows many times how he welcomed sinners when no one else would. But if you think that Jesus was just a great example, you're missing why he came. In this world, I'm telling you, it's confused about who he is and it's confused about why he came. And what I think happens is this. When people don't get from Jesus what they think he came to give. Then they turn their back on him and become bitter because he didn't deliver what they thought he promised. Or they try to make Jesus into their own vision of who they think he should be. And I'm here to tell you this, and, and you may have been there or maybe there now. Even believers, I think, can be confused a little about who Jesus is and why he came, even as believers. And I'm just saying that as watching modern pop Christianity around us, I have a feeling believers are more apt to think that Jesus came so all my dreams would come true. That's why Jesus came, you know, kind of like Santa. 
Jesus came so all my paths would be smooth from now on. That's why Jesus came, to make everything smooth for me. And maybe even this far, Jesus came to bring about social justice and equality. That's why Jesus came. Or maybe Jesus came so I can just enjoy a worship experience. Maybe that's why Jesus came. But you read the scripture and you read the red parts. You won't leave wondering why Jesus came. He said, I come to seek and save that which was lost. He didn't come so I could have all my dreams come true. And he didn't come so I'd have a pain-free existence. And he didn't come so he would right all the wrongs that I may see around me. Jesus didn't come to deliver me from all the stuff that I might see that's against me. All the domination, all the occupation, all the bad. That's not why Jesus came. And there's something in this passage you may not have been a, heard of before. And, and I, I don't want you to think that this is 100% correct because you'll, I, I can't find that it is. But Jesus and Barabbas, they have some things in common. First of all is their names. And I challenge you to do a little research. And study what both history and the writings of others who who would be in the same time frame as our Bible. And you will see that there is a lot of evidence that suggests this. That Barabbas' name was Yeshua. Yeshua Barabbas. Or as we would say, Jesus Barabbas. Jesus Barabbas meaning the son of the father. Bar Abbi. Jesus Barabbas. Now I want you to imagine this. Pilate. In a brilliant move. To rid himself of this Jesus. The Christ problem. Wants to offer these people. This choice. And can you imagine him saying, which Jesus do you want? Their names are similar. Their crimes are identical. Barabbas was guilty of crimes against Rome, sedition, insurrection, treason. And the Jews then accused Jesus of the same. Listen to Luke 23. And they began to accuse him saying, we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar. Saying that he himself is Christ a king. John said this. And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, if thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. They accuse Jesus of treason against Rome. That's the only way they can get him crucified. Sedition, insurrection, saying things against Caesar. Pilate, if you want to be a friend of Caesar's, you're going to do what we say. So the people chose Barabbas. Barabbas, the one, think of this. 
Barabbas was the one guilty of trying to do what they wish Jesus would have done. And that's deliver them. Barabbas at least tried to do what they wanted Jesus to do all along. Not be delivered from their sin, but to be delivered from Rome. And as Jesus enters Jerusalem just days before, they shout, save us, save us. And now as he stands just a few days later, beaten and bloody, it's obvious that this man, this Jesus is not going to save us. It's obvious he's not going to deliver us, at least the kind of deliverance we want. And so when Pilate says, which Jesus do you want? We want the one who's going to try to deliver us, not this one. Let me ask you a question. Who would you choose? Or maybe like this, who are you choosing? Because the world is always going to choose Barabbas. The world will always choose Barabbas. Which Jesus do you choose, Pilate said. And I can picture the people Thinking in their hearts, I want the Jesus that lets me live my own life. Not the one who said, take up your cross and follow me. I don't want that Jesus. Which Jesus will you choose, Pilate said. I want the Jesus that offers freedom. Not freedom from my sin. I want the Jesus that offers freedom from restraint and freedom from rules. I want that Jesus. Which Jesus do you choose, Pilate said. I want the Jesus that will bring about social justice and, and give me my rights, not the Jesus that says, turn the other cheek. I don't want that Jesus. The world always choose Barabbas. But believer, let me ask you this. Are you choosing the real Jesus? And by that I mean, are we trying to turn Jesus into something that he's not. I want the Jesus who doesn't require too much sacrifice. I want the Jesus who will take a back seat and the one who won't require me to be holy or committed or to stand out from the crowd. I want the Jesus that will be there when I need him and then leave me alone the rest of the time. I want the Jesus that's more concerned about my own comfort than, he, than his own glory. I want a different kind of Jesus. I'm afraid as believers, if we're not careful, we'll be choosing another Jesus. A different Jesus, the one who is what he said he is and came for why he came. If we're not careful, we're not going to be any better than that crowd. And I've read this story many times, and so have you. And thought those people, why in the world would they shout for Barabbas, a murderer, and Jesus, an innocent just man who just days before they were praising and shouting Hosanna and they'd been healed and they'd witnessed miracles and been fed by a child's lunch and on and on and on it goes. Why and all of a sudden now would they choose Barabbas? Because in reality, Barabbas was the Jesus they wanted not Jesus Christ. This last thing, Barabbas, think of this. Barabbas was the first man to say, Jesus died for me. As a substitute, Barabbas went free while Jesus was crucified. 
As a substitute, Barabbas went free and the cross meant for him, Jesus willingly took. No one knows, you can read and what other people may say and what Hollywood may present. No one knows if Barabbas made his way to the cross because we're not given that information in scripture. It would be nothing but speculation to say that Barabbas followed the crowd to Calvary. We don't know. But the truth is the same whether Barabbas was actually there or not. Barabbas was the first to be able to say, Jesus died for me. Barabbas was the first, but the first of many. And if you're under the sound of my voice, you can join in with Barabbas and say, Jesus died for me. And you could be the worst sinner. You could be a worse sinner than Barabbas and still say, Jesus died for me. You could be any race, any nationality, any age, and you can still say, Jesus died for me. And you could be the nicest, kindest person that ever walked God's earth. Or you can be the meanest, most spiteful person. And either way, you can still say, Jesus died for me. And you could be the most religious, devout person there is, or someone who's never even darkened the door of a church in their life, but you could still join with Barabbas and say, Jesus died for me. And you could be someone who loves God and the things of God, and you have good thoughts about God and Jesus and those things warm your heart, or you can be someone who hates God and is bitter at God. Either way, you can still say, Jesus died for me. Because Jesus died for you as he died for all men everywhere. And I just, as I want to imagine, I can invite you to imagine with me that we're going to stand beside Barabbas, son of the father. And together watch Jesus on the cross as he bleeds and dies. And together look up and say, he died for me because Jesus died for you. He took your place and he carried your cross and your sin was placed on him and your punishment he embraced. And you can go free and your sin can be forgiven. And can I tell you, one day, all of us are going to cross that threshold from life into death. Yesterday, I was called to the hospital as part of my role as a chaplain for the Oklahoma City Police Department. One of the retired officers and his family stood around the bed of his wife. He said goodbye to his wife of 48 years. And we all stood and literally watched a machine count down to zero. At that moment, you're going to need to know Jesus. Nothing else matters. Not who you are or what you did, bad or good. Because Jesus died for you. 
It's not what race I was or how religious I was or wasn't or did I do enough good stuff or no when that machine counts to zero let me tell you you need Jesus if you don't know him as your savior you can stand with Barabbas and look at the cross and say Jesus died for me now I wasn't the first but I was, he was the first of many 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 who would say Jesus died for me a murderer, guilty, proud. But Jesus took his cross and he took my cross and he took your cross. And when we go from life to death, can I tell you, if you don't have him, if you don't know Christ as your savior, if you've never received him at that moment, heaven is not your home. And Jesus himself was clear that hell awaits those who reject Christ. Do you know him today? He died for you. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to have a word of prayer for you, for all of us in this room. Knowing that Jesus died for us, if we know him as our Savior, certainly knowing what he did for us, it would just, without pounding on it. We should certainly in our own hearts and minds understand I should be willing to give my life for him. But before I pray and your heads are bowed and eyes are closed who with an uplifted hand would say Brother Ted I know I'm saved. I may not be everything I'm supposed to be but I know Christ is my Savior. There was a time I trusted Christ. With your uplifted hand can I see just as a testimony, I know Christ is my Savior. Thank you. You can put your hands down, hands all over. Praise the Lord. Is there one who would say, Brother Ted, I, I've struggled with it or I'm not sure about it. God's spoken to my heart this morning. I'm not sure of my salvation, but I'm concerned about it. Concerned enough to raise my hand. I understand Jesus died for me. I've never received him or I'm confused. I'm not sure. Would you pray for me? Is there one? Pray for me, Brother Ted. I'm not sure about this thing of salvation. I know Jesus died for me, but I'm not sure that if I died tomorrow, if that was me, my family watched as the machine went to zero, I'm not sure heaven would be my home. Is there one? Pray for me. Pray for me, Brother Ted. Is there a believer to say, Brother Ted, would you pray for me that I would, in recognition of what Jesus did for me, I would live for him more today. That I would want to be a witness for him. And I want to love him more. And I want to serve him greater. Who would raise their hand to that? So let me pray for you all over. Yes, ma'am. Yes, all over. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Would you have your will done in the time of invitation? If there's even one who doesn't know Christ, we can truly say that Jesus died for them as he died for all men. And if there's one who doesn't know for sure that they're saved, I pray they'd come to the front during our time of invitation. We would take a Bible and show them how to be saved. Or if believers here and you've spoken to their hearts, whatever, However you've spoken, I pray we would respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.